Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. All right, welcome into Off the Radar here on 365 Sports. It's a Thursday. It's around 445, so as we do twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, stop down and go over a little bit of headlines and just other stories that might be of interest. I do maintain, though, that this is one of the slowest news week in sports year-round. I do believe that. Either that or the week of the All-Star game in the summer, baseball's All-Star game. Yes, that's. I mean, that's when we're just begging for football, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, this one, though, is just because I feel like, as well, there's – the typical news and notes that you'd have for a playoff weekend or just the, the regular season, obviously, you've got all 32 teams or 30 of the 32 teams playing on a regular basis, and you just got constant results and whatnot pouring in. But uh, this week, with nobody playing in a couple of weeks building up to uh, the uh, actual Super Bowl itself, it does seem like it just cools off a little bit as far as the news cycle. But still got a few things to get to here, and that does include some NFL news as we now know uh, who's going to be coaching everybody next year, at least as far as the top jobs go. Uh, We learned that the Seahawks were going to be hiring uh, their new head coach yesterday, and Mike McDonald was the man that they decided to go with. We also learned uh, today that he will be calling defensive plays and uh, is saying it's going to be a little bit of a different personality than what you got when Pete Carroll was the head of Seattle for as long as he was. And I would imagine that is going to be a, just a weird departure for Seahawks media after uh, the lengthy Pete Carroll tenure there. But Mike McDonald going to call defensive plays. Not much of a surprise there, but he's getting um, down to business in Seattle. And so that left 
Uh, the Washington Redskins, oh, excuse me, the Washington Commanders still have a bit of a bad habit, even though it's been a few years now. I'll probably be doing that when I'm in my 60s, God willing that I get there. Yep. I'll still be saying Redskins from time to time. That's just what I grew up with. But we do know now that that left a lot of the heat on Washington to go ahead and make their decision on who they would roll with with their head coaching uh, vacancy. And there was... Uh, a lot of talk about uh, obviously going with the Lions OC in that direction, and he decides he's going to stay uh, in Detroit. And then there was Mike McDonald, but obviously he's taken another job with Seattle. And so what direction do the commanders go? Well, it is, in fact, Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, who was up for, uh, along with uh, uh, the usual suspects like Mike McDonald, up for a lot of the same jobs. Yeah, Mike Rabel's name, but I don't know if that was Mike ever. Rabel's even, name. Even Bill Belichick early on. Bill Belichick. Yep. Yeah, Bill Belichick. I just feel like at this point that wasn't going to get me all excited. He's just he's he's not uh, in his prime at this moment, and I just don't know at this stage of where he is in his career if that's like really the juice needed for a franchise like Washington. It needs some newness. So there's a lot of names that were bandied about, but one that was consistent was Dan Quinn, uh, who was rumored for a lot of different jobs, but he is headed to Washington. He is going to be uh, the first head coach for this new era of ownership, and he has taken over a franchise that's obviously been through the ringer and been through years of mismanagement and scandals and bad ownership and all those different things, but uh, a new era starting in Washington, and Dan Quinn will be the guy. So what are y'all's thoughts? Uh, Garrett, being a Washington fan as well, what are y'all's thoughts on this is a, Dan Quinn? This is a Washington uh, group therapy session right here. Yes, for it real. is. Yeah, it is. And boy, did we need one. Yeah. Uh, I, I think for me, I was kind of waiting. I didn't know as things were drawing out if they were waiting to see if uh, somebody maybe coaching in the Super Bowl, not necessarily a head coach, but somebody on the staff. That's kind of the angle I was taking. And then once you, I kind of started to feel that wasn't going to happen. You knew it was ultimately going to end up with Dan Quinn because there's not very many viable options out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. It's not ideal, but for what you got, I think it's a, it's a good starting point. And we've seen him in the past have elite defenses with Seattle. He's taken team. He's taken Atlanta to the Super Bowl as a head coach before. So, I mean, give it a shot. What's the worst that could happen? He definitely is familiar with the conference that you're in. So, I know there was some smoke out there about maybe Chip Kelly coming to be his offensive coordinator. We'll see how all that plays out. But I mean, it is what it is. You got what you got right now, and hopefully, it works out. I, uh, you know. It didn't blow me away, didn't give me that whoop, but at the same time, he had Atlanta on the cusp, Mm -hmm. and we know what happened. Uh, Cowboys' defense was one that forced turnovers. Washington has been inconsistent in every particular special team. If he can get a defense that forces turnover, now if he does enough to make sure that they don't, aren't soft down the stretch in the middle – you know, Hank is getting hurt, hurt Dallas when it came against the run, but you got to have more than that, you know? And they have Jonathan Allen if they can keep him around, which, my God, I hope so. They're getting rid of all the other defensive linemen. Uh, of everybody left, unless Nick Saban was coming out of retirement to coach in the NFL, which he's tried to do, to me this is about the only option, the only what would be a considered good option remaining. I, and, and he's also going to be able to put a staff together already. It appears to be pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'll get to that in just a moment, but uh, that does – wrap up the coaching carousel for the NFL this cycle. Um, And so now we have all 32 jobs that are set. But uh, Dan Quinn, the final hire, and he is headed to go head up a new era with the Washington Commanders. And they had the number two overall pick in the draft. 
Um, you're thinking at worst you're getting Drake May, the quarterback from North Carolina, who I don't need to explain to probably all of our audience who that is. But, um, you know, if somehow there's a curveball, then you're looking at Caleb Williams. Um, and I guess if things got really wonky, maybe a Jalen Daniels. But, I mean, either way, it would appear that the obvious choice is to go and draft the quarterback at number two overall. So he will have that choice. Uh, Dan Quinn uh, also already getting busy in terms of, his staff, and he is expected to, according to Aaron Wilson, hire Cowboys defensive passing game coordinator Joe Witt Jr. as the commander's new defensive coordinator. So the Cowboys lose their D.C. Uh, to Washington, and now they will lose their defensive passing game coordinator to Washington as he will be joining Joe, uh, be joining Dan Quinn and Joe Witt Jr. And uh, you said that there was speculation that that would be the guy to replace yeah. Dan Quinn in Dallas, I, well, but now he might be heading to uh, Washington with Dan Quinn. He's a really uh, well-thought-of uh, assistant coach. What he did there, uh, the, it, w- when I was listening for a little bit earlier today at Dallas Radio when they brought up, okay, who would be next? And his name was brought up, and, and, and a lot of people thought that he's a, a rising-type star. And now he's gone. I'm sure there'll be reasons why it was okay. Mickey will join us in, what, 30 minutes on that. We'll get his feedback. But um, – He's going to be able to put – Dan Quinn's been around a while. Seattle, Atlanta, Washington. He's got uh, Dallas. And so he's going to be able to put together a pretty good staff. And now the thought is that Washington's head coach, Ron Rivera, might be on the Cowboys' radar as okay. their defensive coordinator because of the fact Witt no longer is a part of that safety net. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ron Rivera is a guy with a lot of uh, experience and a lot of uh, knowledge, and so I could see where he would be – Tempting to go bring on to another staff somewhere. So, yeah, best of luck to him. No hard feelings by any means. But uh, it looks like Washington is going to have even more Dallas flavor than we thought now that they have hired uh, Dan Quinn. So you were sitting here talking about um, why can't we just sit and live in the moment and all these beautiful philosophical things like that. Well, I'll tell you what, CBS Sports, and I'm sure it goes – for everybody else, but I saw this in passing. It was just fitting because you were talking about has already released their hot board for next year's 2025 NFL head coaching candidates. Any guessing on who's number one? We're not even, we just filled the last one. Uh, Number one is McCarthy. Head coaching candidates? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said hot seat. No, hot board. Hot board candidates. Got to be Mike Vrabel. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Number two, Bill Belichick. Yep. So there you go. And as far as, as, the actual other names other than those two. I mean, the Mike Vrabel thing is sort of interesting. I thought that he might jump onto a job. I don't know all the ins and outs and details with him, but uh, he is the number one on that hot board. But, yeah, you've got the guys who are all interviewing for jobs. Bobby Slovic, the Texans OC, uh, who's a hot name. Ben Johnson, obviously, the Lions OC, who many thought could be the Washington coach was all said and done. You know who is also out there? Pete Carroll. What's Pete Carroll going to yeah, do this upcoming yeah. year? Is he just going to enjoy retirement? I could definitely see that. But, yeah, so you, you talk about wanting to just kind of sit in it and um, and enjoy it, but uh, we're already off onto the hot board in some websites for the 2025 NFL coaching carousel, having no idea, although having a pretty good idea of – Uh, who might be uh, available. So uh, elsewhere, uh, a couple of other stories as the uh, NFL coaching carousel cycle starts to wind down. I didn't mention this the other day, but Corey Seager of the Rangers uh, will miss most of spring training after having sports hernia surgery. Oh, God. And uh, opening day 
is still a target, although it's unclear whether or not he will be ready for sure. But apparently it was something that he was trying to, in the offseason, sort of overcome. And then it became clear that it was not going to just go away. And so he consulted with the team. And uh, they're going to go and have surgery um, to uh, fix the hernia issue. So they're hopeful he can be ready opening day, which is March 28th. So that gives him about seven weeks from now. And if there is one knock on Corey Seager, it is his health and, yep. and his availability. And he managed to have a monster ending to last year. And he's an incredible player and, and fast rising, one of my favorite players that I've watched. But uh, yeah, just a, a small note there. Nothing season ending or worrisome as that regard. But a reminder that we do have baseball spring training that is at least coming right around the corner once the Super Bowl ends. So there will be that that element of the uh, uh, sports calendar as well. How was, we don't know what this is like going into spring training. I'll tell you what. Being the defending champions or not being completely you know, heartbroken. I'll tell you what, I, I have, I'm, I absolutely have the most carefree attitude I've ever had entering I a know. baseball season because they're not a pressure to win the world series. Yeah. I know there's probably some people who are like, well, we got to win back to back. And I just, I'm just thankful they won one. I don't have to be 70 years old. So they're going, just want to see the Rangers win one before I go. Like so many people probably were, or we were that way with the Red Sox and never even saw it or the Cubs or whatever. I mean, I got to see my team win a world series and if they never do it again, I will die happy, but uh, I would like to see them do it again. I'm just not going to put that pressure on back-to-back campaigns, but that is notable because obviously he is an incredible player. Elsewhere in baseball, the Angelos family is going to sell the Baltimore Orioles to a two-billionaire partnership uh, for $1.725 billion. And how about this, fellas? Peter Angelos, who is the head of the group that bought the Orioles back in 1993. Uh, any guesses as to what he bought the Orioles for? Now, granted, there's inflation, so it's not a, a apples-to-apples apples comparison. But uh, in 1993... I'm going to say for $100 $173 million, and here he is, that'd be, what, uh, 30 years later, inflation included, but $173 million purchase has turned into a $1.7 billion sale. Isn't so, that like 100%? Uh, seems like more than that. 100, yeah. $173 million to $1.725 billion. I'm bad at math, so maybe you're right. That billion? It's oh, billion. Yeah, billion. That's like a 1,000% increase. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, $173 right. million sure to $1.7 billion. Uh, so One. that's the 30-year, I guess, uh, raise in, in the price tag for the Baltimore Orioles. So the Angelos Group uh, selling the franchise to David Rubenstein and Mike Arigetti, according to Puck News. They're from the private equity world, as we just love that term in sports these days. And so there's more private only, equity entering sports. My calculator on my phone won't let me get to the billion level. It, it won't get me to 10 That's a pretty numbers. substantial increase. Yeah. But, yeah, the Angelos family, uh, Peter Angelos, purchased the Orioles in 19. 19- 93. Uh, he's not really been involved as he's been dealing with an illness the past few years, but uh, that's all clear now. And so uh, the big question is, is, you know, how much support they got some really good young players. You saw them play the Rangers in the first round, guys like Gunnar Henderson and uh, others uh, that are, that are really promising young talents. So just a, a little bit of a change in leadership over there for uh, the Baltimore Orioles. Also sad news in college baseball today, not the Alabama former Alabama coach and his show cause over gambling and just the stupidity that was shown there. But a man that I wish Paul was here to talk about, Mike Martin, a longtime Florida State baseball coach, 40 years uh, at the helm, dies uh, today at age 79. That reported uh, by various outlets, winning his coach in college baseball history, um, but had been diagnosed with Lewy body dementia three years ago. And that is an 
awful disease. I mean, that one, the Louis body, I know specifically because that's what Robin Williams was dealing with. Oh, okay. um, and, and that was a very, very sad story uh, when all was said and done. But Mike Martin winning his college coach and uh, winning his baseball coach in the college ranks uh, passes away today, age 79. He won 2,029 games with the Seminoles. He retired before 2019. Um, and, you know, like I said, winning his coach in uh, college baseball history, winning his coach in NCAA history, won 19 conference titles, went to the NCAA tournament 40 times, 17 College World Series appearances. But the one caveat, and Paul has brought this up, could not win the Natty. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, could all. not win the Natty, um, but, you know, was able to make it to Omaha in his final year. They weren't able to accomplish that. But, yeah, sad day in Tallahassee. Commissioner Jim Phillips of the ACC, among others, uh, sending out their thoughts and prayers. But that's an, a notable passing. So rest in peace, Mike Martin, longtime Florida State baseball coach. They were runner-ups in 1986. 61 and 13. He, like you said, he went to the College World Series 16 or so times, but they were runner-ups. But that, uh, that's something that Paul was so frustrated with. Yeah. And Mike Martin, of course, is not like – He wasn't frustrated but, with Mike Martin. He loved no, Mike Martin. but Yeah, he got frustrated with the, the results like anyone would be, a college team that can't win the national title when they've been there knocking on the door. Well, uh, he, yeah, 20, 2,029 wins is insane. And uh, his thoughts and prayers to him and his family and also Florida State Seminole fans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a couple more notes here. Uh, was notable that uh, four-star 2024 wide receiver Ashton Bethel-Roman uh, released from his letter of intent with Arkansas earlier today. He was the third highest ranked signee for that recruiting class. And I mentioned that because I know that there were some programs around the state of Texas that were involved with him and various others. Um, but just interesting to see that the last guy I remember getting released out of his letter of intent that was notable and stuck with me was Jade Barron, who signed with Baylor and then got out of his letter of intent and signed with Texas. No tampering whatsoever, not at all. Um, but he signed with Texas and has gone on to have a pretty solid career, just announced he's coming back for another year. Um, and I know it's happened in between then, but just doesn't happen all that often, it feels like. But, man, you, you sign and you're already – your coach didn't leave, but you're already getting released to go sign elsewhere. I'm sure there's, there's – um, plenty of reasoning and all of that but that just seems kind of weird like that that doesn't even necessarily Money. matter all that much yeah yeah it doesn't even matter all that much so ashton bethel roman a four-star 2024 wide receiver who signed with arkansas released from his letter of intent and now free to sign uh i guess wherever else he so chooses and wanted to make a mention that uh, last night as well uh, we did have a notable loss in the Big 12 women's race, and that was Kansas State yep. getting knocked off their perch by Oklahoma. So the number two Wildcats were unbeaten in Big 12 play and uh, get knocked off by uh, the Sooners, who are unranked 66-63. to 63, And that has created a trend now where the number two team is losing almost every single week uh, when it comes to the polls. But just wanted to shout out to Oklahoma's uh, big victory there. Uh, first win over a top two team for them since 2004. Uh, so it's been a long time to have a win like that, and obviously that helps shake up the uh, the women's basketball standings. But just wanted to make a mention of that as well. And uh, there's a few things off the radar. In fact, tonight Baylor plays Texas at the Foster Pavilion. So a little extra there now. ESPN in town for that game, and so that's tonight here. And, and just around the corner, Baylor against UT, who they beat down in Austin probably, what was it, two or three weeks ago. Speaking of which, then we can wrap it up with this, Garrett. 
the men's basketball notes from last night in the Big 12, uh, including Baylor down most of the game. In fact, it would look like, okay, uh, are they going to make a run? That They did, then they fell back again. Uh, Langston Love was fantastic last night. Beat UCF in Orlando, 77-69. West Virginia with a win against Cincinnati. And then last night, top-ranked UConn won. Second-ranked Purdue beat Northwestern in overtime. Did you hear about the free-throw discrepancy? Purdue shot 46 free-throws, and I think Northwestern shot like eight. Now, they didn't make all 46, and that was something that uh, Doug Collins, uh, Dave Collins, their head coach at Northwestern, was furious. I think he got ejected. Uh, Florida beat 10th-ranked Kentucky. Kentucky's lost a couple in a row, I believe, in overtime. Those were the games from last night. Yeah, it would have been a disaster if Baylor had lost that game. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't spin that. I don't care if they had lost by one and quadruple overtime, like has been sort of the feel around their recent losses. Had they lost, well, that would have been four consecutive that Big 12 games. would have been four games. straight. Yeah. They would have under. And then you, you just, go under 500, you're underwater again when it comes to the conference if you're not Yeah, careful. you're 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 really treading water and uh, having a hard time staying above it if you if you lose four straight conference games like that. So that was big. UCF got off to a really smoking hot shooting start, and they, they can do that from time to time. But, I mean, they were on fire, and that made you go, uh-oh, about to see about to see some bad news out in Orlando. But uh, they got the win, so uh, that's all that matters there, and, and certainly they needed that one in a, in a major way. UCF was 14 of 27 shooting threes and lost at home. Yeah, but what was Free it in the, like, the first sh- half? Uh, it was not it, that. It was they a They hit lot a few better, down yeah. the stretch that looked like they were going to – Baylor was not going to be able to close it out again, but Baylor – had a big advantage, 20 of 25 at the free throw line. UCF was only one of seven, which is a, a bad number. And I don't know if any of those were front ends of one-on-one. And that All was right. a, uh, a frustrating loss, I'm sure, for Cincinnati. Um, you're sitting there right there neck and neck with, with West Virginia there in the standings now as a result of West Virginia getting that win at home. But, yeah, a Raekwon battle with a, a big shot and a big win there for, for West Virginia, who we know has struggled a bit, still under 500 overall on the season and in Big 12 play. But uh, you get that win, and there's a little something to you talk about. Stay in the moment. Enjoy that win, West Virginia yep. basketball fans. Enjoy that for the next couple of days, and then don't worry about the next one. But, uh, yeah, there you go. All right, Craig, thank you very much. Uh, this is 365 Sports. Garrett Ross running the mothership. Paul's out today and out tomorrow. Might come in with us for a little bit tomorrow uh, from Allen Fieldhouse or around uh, the campus at the University of Kansas as they host Houston UH U of H on Saturday in a great top 10 game that is going on there. Uh, this was UIL realignment day. We'll come back with a little bit of that. Mickey Spagnola around the corner. And I mentioned this earlier. Do you have the DeSoto tweet? Uh, the yeah, UIL yeah. realignment, everybody in high school football in Texas, the, the schools, they know based on their enrollment called Snapshot Day in October if they're going to be 6A or 3A based on those classifications, the bottom level to the upper level. This from Greg Riddle does a great job with high school sports for the morning news. DeSoto's won back-to-back state titles. They were going to be, because of their enrollment, dropping to Class 5A Division One. They have submitted an appeal, and they are going to be a part of the same district again with Duncanville. They will play in 6A. They're that good, that talented. Claude Mathis, that's a ballsy deal. 
Uh, but they know they can play head up. Remember, they beat Duncanville last year too. So there we are with that. Meanwhile, yeah, a quick- I, I don't I don't think it's that ballsy. I think it's the right move because they would just destroy five A teams. But just because your enrollment shrink doesn't mean your football enrollment shrink. No, I think their football that, that, program's healthy. I think there might be some other kids that are going yeah, to other schools. Claude but- Mathis told me last year, wasn't it on a podcast, Garrett, that yeah, they, they, they had lost them. more kids than they thought, but they still. Their backups and second, yeah, third team I mean, guys could start, you know, kind of like what Alabama and Georgia could be at times when it comes to college football. That Them at 5A would just be stupid. Like, nobody wants to watch that. No, we that, do midway football. No, you're right. We do midway football. And they're in the district. It's a very tidy, travel-friendly, cozy little district with Brian, with three schools out of Colleen, Colleen High, which is back in 6A, Shoemaker back in 6A, and then also Harker Heights, which won the district title two years ago, Copper's Cove, 6A, and then Temple and Midway. So it's a very cozy, they've kind of been there together, but in different ways the last three or four years. The good news, when Midway received the district, let's be honest, they're not in the district with DeSoto and Duncanville, although that district I mentioned, that's this area, 6A, will have to play that district again in the opening round. So a lot of it's positioning where you're going to be when it comes to the first round of the state playoffs, you want to avoid, not that you can't beat them, probably not, with DeSoto and also with Duncanville. All right, when we come back around the corner, Mickey Spagnola, David Smoke, and Craig Smoke, thanks to our great sponsors. Thanks to those of you in the chat room today. Um, I got a couple of uh, comments in the chat room, Dan. I think it's Meter on the Big 12 and Brett Yormark. That and more. This is 365 Sports. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.